0: Hello and welcome to the Department 12 podcast, where we talk about everything industrial and organizational psychology. I'm Dr. Ben Butina, and my guest today is Dr. Allison Horstmeyer, a leading edge humanistic researcher, talent development consultant, and thought leader. Her research focuses on curiosity and the associated mental, emotional, and motivational aspects. In addition to her consulting practice, Dr. Horstmeyer serves as the director of client development and adjunct faculty for the USC Marshall School of Business Executive Education, and she is the inaugural research fellow appointed to USC Annenberg Center for Third Space Thinking, also a frequent guest lecturer for USC Marshall Lloyd Greif Center for Entrepreneurial Studies. How are you today, Allison? So as I just explained, you've got a lot going on. Let's start with how did you get here? What's your story?
1: Yeah, so I I actually come from the intersection of tech and media. I had a long tenure of building businesses at that intersection, usually emerging technology. So typically at the at the fringes, launching new technology in uh, a global purview. So I global purview and responsibility and worked a lot with sales teams and cross-functional teams. And during that process, what really fired me up was was helping other people be successful and empowering them to succeed. And it was also during that process, I really knew it's probably similar today, you know, high levels of stress, anxiety, and complacency. And I was always really struck by by really the, the different levels of that, the different um, variations of leadership I saw that either encouraged that or helped to mitigate that. And so I really wanted to understand it. And during the latter part of my career, I went back to academia and immersed myself in uh, mind body science, behavioral science, social science in, in different dis- disciplines and modalities. That's when I became a, a certified coach and a registered yoga teacher and, and really was looking across the spectrum of disciplines and started doing the research on on anxiety. And it was in my mindfulness research that I said, you know, oh wow, can we be curious and anxious?" All at the same time, it is that it, and that was incredibly naive, Ben, because I was I was wrong. And at the same time, it catalyzed me into the rich world of curiosity, and mm-hmm. uh, that world is very is, is very layered and complex. and And it brought me back to anxiety because anxiety is such an indelible part of curiosity, and that is still very much part of my platform today. Is how can we manage? that doubt, those self-narratives, that anxiety along the way to really help us experimentation and exploration and really leverage our curiosity, which is innate in all of us. And, and so I have a, a strong humanistic lens. I really want to understand what makes us innately human, what we can leverage within us that we have. Everybody has curiosity. It's, it's one of the 24 universal character strengths. And really wanted to go back and be of service to to corporations in a way that was really aligned with how I wanted to show up today, which was a really higher service orientation and really help people navigate the ambiguity and complexity that we have in our world. But but how could we do it in a way that really could could support them? And so that's what brought me to where I am.
0: One thing that jumped out at me about your bio, Allison, is that you're identified as a thought leader on this topic of curiosity. Do you consider yourself a thought leader?
1: I think, Ben, it's how you define what thought leadership is. And Mm -hmm. for me, thought leadership is really about catalyzing paradigm shifts. So so mindset shifts, behavioral shifts, how we really view our world, and how we can shift that to, again, transcend those narratives that really can, can serve that. And I saw curiosity as a mechanism to do that, as a platform to do that. and But the, the driver of my work was, you know, how can I be a value to help uh, be a conduit for change? I know it might mm-hmm. sound a bit corny, but, you know, I really wanted to make an impact in a different way than I had in my previous career it- iteration, and so that required me to think differently and and to normalize experimentation and exploration and then bring it back to the world in a way that could be accessible and i still work on very much today on how do i translate the scholarship into making it accessible and if that produces that shift that i feel that we need and i see that is helpful to others and that can be categorized as thought leadership. Then I am happy to be put into that that category. But I didn't go. I didn't, you know, go on this path. Like, oh, I'm going to be a thought leader. It was really mm-hmm. about like, how can I make a change?
0: So for you, at least, it's about catalyzing change. So it's not just about developing a deep level of expertise on a topic. It's about sharing that with others for the purpose of helping them make a change in themselves or their organization.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It does no good to keep it in theory or on a shelf. And for me, there are prolific curiosity researchers out there, and and my work is hopefully contributing to the scholarship. But at the same time, I was really interested on the practitioner. How do I translate that into practice where it is going to make a meaningful difference for for our professional development and to give us the tools that we need because the world is changing so much and we, and we need to evolve our perspectives. And I think coming from it at a, a humanistic way and through the, the avenues of mind-body science and kind of integrated health science and, and, and maybe not a traditional OD way helped me mm-hmm. to broaden my thinking about that.
0: If an industrial an organizational psychologist or an IO grad student wanted to become a, a thought leader in a certain area, so they, they want to do what you've done. So they want to not just develop expertise around a certain topic, but they want to become the go-to person for uh, that topic in terms of helping people in the real world use that information to make some desired change in themselves or their organizations. In addition to, to really, you know, researching and learning that topic inside and out what other advice would you give them to to move towards that thought leadership
1: what i can offer is from my personal experience and and my perspective and so what what i'm sharing is really an offering and not meant to be prescriptive because the idea mm-hmm. is you will have to experiment to see what what works for you but i can tell you that fundamentally i had to get really clear On you know who I wanted to be and who I wanted to evolve to be you know really get clear on on my core values, on my personal mission statement you know I had to have some kind of compass, grounding and get really clear on on the what the vision was for you know i, I used to joke about it. it's allison version 5.0 you know we all we all have iterations through our journey my uncle is a great example he's had about you know seven different careers and then use that compass to to figure out you know what is what is the the voice and the message and the tools around that that you want to develop and use and hone and what are the components to, to that voice and to that package that you need to not only develop it and make it better, but elevate your brand and your profile? And when I'm talking about components, it's not disparate components. It's components that work uh, synergistically together or even in a bidirectional way. So, for example, you know, my work in academia gives me that, that foundational kind of evidence-based practice, right? I have evidence-based tools I've crafted, rooted in research. And then I take those out into organizations to see how they work, because you don't know until you, you actually go and do. And then I'm capturing data and experiences that way. And then I write about it and I talk about it. And as I'm talking and writing about it, I get more feedback and that crafts and helps me evolve my thinking further. And you know, that in that way they work together. There's a really nice bi-directional relationship. And I always knew that my approach needed to be multifaceted, that, that I would straddle somehow both academia and the corporate world in this way, because that that came Kind of natural to me that comes from you know being in business development and connecting disparate things and seeing how they can work together. the the other component for me was you know talking to people and networking and finding like-minded uh, souls that you could collaborate with because you can't do it all on your own. And not all collaborations are going to work out. That's part of the process, but c- certainly kind of finding your tribe that can help lift you up and is, is willing to uh, try things out with you. And that's also such an important part is the willingness to get out of your comfort zone and stretch yourself. I have been stretched. I'm, like I have gotten really uncomfortable and and like, wow, I've never done this before and let's see how it goes. And sometimes it doesn't work out and, then you have to pivot and readjust. But if you're just uh, staying kind of within a a certain bubble of comfort, then you're just really limiting yourself and you're not being able to see uh, the possibilities of where you can take your voice and message.
0: So it's not about just digging deeper into one topic, but more about reaching out, Trying new things, expanding and growing, and, and taking on challenges that force you to grow as well, right?
1: I think in this phase of my journey, in this in this iteration of my career, have had have experienced a significant growth in the shortest amount of time. That's because I. I really wanted to know what's going to happen when I take the practice into the real world. How do I really make it accessible uh, to people in a way that's really going to be going to serve them the key component is always being on top of what others are doing in your field to see you know what you can glean from them and what they can glean from you i really try you know in in the corporate world we can kind of come from that scarcity mindset and i really tried to to embrace that more of that growth mindset where it's about improving it's about you know how can we learn from each other there's there's enough work for everybody kind of lens and that that has been really helpful as well.
0: You know, A lot of what you're doing is based around, you know, the, the study and application of curiosity. I'm assuming a lot of the research findings are that curiosity is good and that it's helpful in a lot of different ways. It's it's obviously a character strength that's universally valued. But given that that so much is, is hanging on curiosity, I wonder, are, are you concerned at all that, you know, research might one day point in some other direction towards negativity? And then what happens to, to this thing you've built?
1: That's a great question, Ben. I look at, at the, the platform of curiosity as is, is one that's continually evolving, and I don't view it as static. And it it is incumbent on me to be able and to to be diligent that I am evolving the the research and the practice around it. And at the same time, curiosity can take you a lot of places. You know, I'm, I'm really fascinated with the connection between our core values and how we're curious. You know, I get questions quite a bit about how can we bring curiosity into more of a DEI lens. I have not done research in that area and that that could be a whole nother track. So I feel the curiosity is a lot of tentacles and, and I could pursue the different paths to evolve the platform and it may lead me to wanting to Uh, Go back and explore anxiety further. You know, when I look at well-known research researchers, like let's take Brené Brown, who started in social work and then she studied shame and vulnerability, and then she's moved that into leadership development. Or you know, we have Susan David around emotional agility. So I think there is always opportunity. To evolve, I think the thing that I need to look out for is, is staying stagnant on the same platform.
0: Shifting gears from career to the, the topic of curiosity, I, I wonder, is there a shadow side to curiosity?
1: Yeah, so in the research, there is a part of curiosity that was documented early, around 1994, around seeking sensation. And then that was further studied and kind of resurfaced in, in 2006 and has now become part of Todd Kashtan's five-dimensional model called Thrill Seeking. And it's this dimension of curiosity where you are actively seeking intense experiences and and High, high risk—whether that's social risk, physical risk, financial risk—and so you can see that 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 may take you to some you know shadow places. Studied the relationship between curiosity and addiction, for example. But if somebody is seeking such intense highs, you could possibly triangulate that that there might be some kind of connection there. But at the same time. When I look at that dimension of curiosity that's been documented, it, you can also see how it translates to, you know, Navy SEALs or extreme athletes. So there can be a good use of that, quote, thrill-seeking. Another part of curiosity that could potentially be a shadow side is on the social curiosity, there is covert social curiosity. So meaning you're really uh, into gossip and kind of in a duplicitous way, going for information in a way that's that's really not genuine in it and is going to serve you, which is a bit different than covert social curiosity, which is you are genuinely interested in others and, and learning about others.
0: Curiosity, I, I tend to think of as you know, a a positive thing. And usually with positive things, we we tend to assume that the more we have of it, the better, but there's usually such a thing as too much of something. So a good example from personality psychology is conscientiousness correlates with a whole bunch of positive outcomes in the workplace and beyond, but it's possible for a person to be excessively conscientious and, and become perfectionistic adhere to extreme routines and things like that. So there's usually such a thing as too much of a good thing. So I wonder, what does too much curiosity look like?
1: You're kind of describing, you know, in the strengths world, we have an overuse and underuse application, right? So certainly there can be an overuse of curiosity when, for example, you know, an unproductive curiosity in the workplace would be, you know, you're completely, you're completely checking out of your role and just getting down that rabbit hole of social media. And, you know, on one hand, you're saying, well, I'm giving myself a break and that's an escape. Spencer Harrison did some work there that when we use our curiosity to escape, we're actually sending signals to our brain that says, you know, our, our current job is not really of value and is, is de-energizing. We know also that what I've seen too in my early research was people can get so caught in the exploration or the questioning that kind of create this circular process where they feel like they don't have the answers at all. It's almost like they've stretched too far and they they feel like they're out of control a little bit and they have to stop and then come back and start the process of exploration again. So, you know, there there can certainly be be a balance to any of our strengths and to figure out a way how to to use it in, in a way that can really, really serve us.
0: Suppose I won the lottery. And uh, with my fabulous wealth, I established the Allison Horstmeyer Curiosity Laboratory (laughs) with a a big fat endowment, a team of grad assistants. You can study whatever you want, no grant writing. Are you going to explore with this, with uh, all of these resources?
1: The work that I'm doing with organizations in terms of, you know, I call them curiosity interventions, really tools about how we can cultivate and harness and support curiosity. We don't have a lot of research on that and we and and it would really benefit all of us if we could figure out those those practices or those tools we certainly have a lot of research now on psychological safety and recognize that that's an environment that supports curiosity but in terms of actual tools that people can use we we definitely need more work around that the other area as i mentioned before is there's not a lot of documented research about curiosity and how it can really help in, in terms of diversity, inclusion, belonging. If we are believing the positive outcomes associated with curiosity and I'm very focused on you know curiosity about self and curiosity about self to others, you know is there, is there a place for curiosity in, in DEI? Is that an untapped, an untapped phenomenon that we're not really investigating and figuring out how to incorporate into, into that? into that world and certainly in our world today where we have, you know, strong polarization and we really have social and, and racial issues to solve, you know, can that be a mechanism that we can have a more prominent place in that conversation? You brought up conscientiousness. There is a lot of conflation between openness to experience and the openness, facet of curiosity. And and so I, I always wonder, again, you know, how much of our self-concept and our values really influence how we are curious? Because I did see a bit of that in my research, and I've only seen one other study start to connect the relationship between our core values and, uh, curiosity, you know, but we haven't done a thorough job of, for example, taking the, the Schwartz, uh, value model or the Haltona model and, and really kind of seeing what the relationships are between the different values and, and curiosity. The facets that, that I used to describe curiosity as is, is one not knowing, so that really ties into kind of the deprivation, sensitivity, or violation of expectation. The second facet being exploration, so it's active; it's it's not passive. You're not just observing or being interested because you can observe and, and be interested and do absolutely nothing. And then there the facet of openness, because in, in my work and in the literature, there is you know the 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 open mindedness the openness to experience seems to keep coming up as as a way to try to c- clarify that level of openness but still it is not it's not clear and then the fourth dimension is the stress tolerance dimension how you manage the anxiety doubt and confusion along the way and so you can see how how all these facets work together and you know, previous research shows that, that that stress tolerance component is pretty much the kicker to the whole thing. It's, it's how how well we feel we can manage and cope with that stress is going to determine how we activate our states of curiosity and how well we sustain them. And then in that process, you know, how open can we remain to what we're experiencing?
0: In the show notes for today's episode, I'm going to include links to your website and to your uh, LinkedIn account. If a listener is curious about curiosity or curious about thought leadership or combining you know, an academic career with an applied or consulting career, are you open to hearing from them?
1: Absolutely. You can contact me through the website or connect and message me through LinkedIn, and I'm happy, happy to speak with you.
0: Well, Allison, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. It was a fascinating conversation, and maybe we can do it again sometime.
1: Thanks so much, Ben.